Well, good morning, and welcome to Mosaic. It's a brand new year. Happy New Year. Um, if you don't know, my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here, and one of the fun parts about my job is I get to subject you to all the art that I love. So if you don't like Sigur Rose, um, I'll pray for you. Uh, there's still hope. There's still hope. Never give up hope. But I uh, hope you had a new, great New Year and a great Christmas break um, with friends and family, and hope it was restful and awesome. Um, just out of curiosity, how many people made New Year's resolutions? Okay, fair amount. How many people did not make New Year's resolutions? Also a fair amount. How many people made a resolution not to make any resolutions so you would not fail? Anybody? Okay. Okay, I had a few of those conversations this week. Um, I'll admit, I love, I love New Year's. And I, I love like, taking that moment to reflect on the last year and, and just ushering in the new. And I, and I, I love the whole New Year experience. Like, I, I love being with friends uh, to start a new year and staying up late and playing games and watching the ball drop you know, in Times Square, the replay of it. And, uh, and, and I love being there for the end of one year and the beginning of the next. But I know that there are some, and of course nobody here, but I know that there are some cynics, or I'm sorry, realists, uh, who are not very big on New Year's, uh, don't like making New Year's resolutions, because um, they think it's a waste of time. I heard one person say uh, this morning that they don't need to make New Year's resolutions because they're actually disciplined. So they don't need the motivation of <laughs> making goals, I guess. Um, but I will admit, as somebody who loves New Year's and, and loves closing out one year and ushering in the, the new and being there for that uh, and making goals, um, one of the hard parts, of course, about New Year's and about New Year's resolutions is, is as great as New Year's can be, and, and as great as it can be to stay up late and, and watch the clock change from you know, 2011 to 2012 and raising your glass and emphatically cheering, uh, the truth is, of course, at the beginning, the end of the day, the beginning of the day, that nothing in the end has really changed, right? Uh, you know, although it's now 2012 and it's the start of this new year, the reality is, is that you're still the same person, right? You're still in the same relationship. You're still married to the same spouse. You're in the same marriage. Uh, you still have the same job, the same addictions, perhaps, the same baggage, the same you name it, right? Nothing has really, nothing's really changed yet, and the truth is, is, is that even though we've closed out one year, and, and, and as much as I love like the beginning of starting something new and getting to start fresh and getting to start new, the truth is that if we don't change, then the reality is that, that nothing really changes at all. Or the, chance, the, the reality is that if we don't mix up the equation, if we, don't, if we don't change some of the patterns in our life and invite God into those, reality is, is that at the end of 2012, we're going to find ourselves struggling with the exact same discouragement, perhaps, uh, the exact same disillusionment, the, the exact same kind of disappointment, uh, the same kind of perhaps just vague stuckness that we find ourselves in uh, perhaps today. And, and I know something of you and me, and it seems, that, uh, it seems that every single one of us, no matter where we're at in the spiritual spectrum, uh, have within us this intrinsic need uh, for, for, for having a new start on faith. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've never really press that new start on faith button and you never really reset in that way because for you, you wouldn't consider yourself to be a person of faith, 
Or perhaps for you, you maybe you, you've longed for that, and, and you see that other people have apparently this kind of connection to God and this kind of faith, but you don't really understand it. You, you haven't been able to really wrap your mind around that, or, or it hasn't really been something personal for you. And, and we're praying that, that perhaps, perhaps this morning, perhaps this year in 2012, that God would start something new in your life that would absolutely surprise you, that would absolutely amaze you, something that you just couldn't imagine or foresee. But I also know this, that, that if you're in this room, whether you're uh, not a Christian or a Christian, or whether you've been your brand new Christian or you've been a Christian uh, for some time, that it seems that every single one of us, uh, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, we find ourselves in these seasons over and over and over again uh, where it's just like we bottom out. Right? These, these, these seasons where we just hit zero. And it's like, even though we have these moments where God shows himself to us in such a powerful way, and he's so real to us, and he's so present in our lives, and we can't deny that he's real. It's like in the exact same moment we go from being a 10 uh, 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 spiritually um, in our experience with God to a 1 or a 0. And I believe that God has created us this way and created us with an intrinsic need to start new on our faith. To, to connect with God in a new way, to, to, to allow him to take us to new ground and to a new level in our faith. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, uh, we're going to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 3. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this whole chapter. It's not incredibly long, but, but especially if you're new to the whole church experience or even if you're familiar with this particular story, I want you to get a, a feel for what's happening right here, right now. Now, just briefly, uh, a little bit of backstory. Right? This, this story is about Joshua, who, who the, the book is named after. And, and Joshua was essentially Moses' apprentice. Right? He was his right-hand man, kind of his, his personal assistant. And, and even if you've never gone to church before, you've probably heard the name Moses. Moses was a really big deal. And, and Moses was the guy that God called out to, to stand before Pharaoh. Right, the most powerful man uh, in the world at that time, and to usher out of slavery God's people. And, and, and Moses was the guy that you know, God had performed the ten plagues through, and they went in the wilderness, and God's people screwed up and doubted God, which we do a lot, and they never got to enter the promised land. So Moses actually passed away without ever getting to lead the people in the promised land. But this particular mandate is on Joshua's life. Joshua gets this mandate from God. So Joshua chapter 3 Beginning in verse 1. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Then Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Which I love. Like, I, wouldn't you just love to have this promise from God, knowing that every single day when you got up, if you consecrated yourself before God, that God was going to do amazing things in your midst. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant, 
When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Now I think Joshua, when he was writing this, knew that, that some of the people who would be reading the story wouldn't be familiar with this particular place in the world in this particular season. Right? Because it's, to, to us who might be reading this, it's a river, it's awesome, like, big deal, it's just a river. We've all seen rivers, we've all been in rivers. But he says now the Jordan is at flood stage all throughout harvest. So he wants us to understand the gravity of the situation. Right? This, is not, this is not a Nebraska river, is what he's telling us. Right? This, is, this is not the Platte. Right? There's not sandbars that you can walk across the whole river. Uh, this is not the Niobrara. Right? You're not going to tie some inner tubes together and go with your drinking buddies for 10 hours down the river. Right? This is raging waters. This is white water, dangerously powerful. Right? He wants us to understand the gravity of what's happening here. And, and interestingly, it's in this moment, it's in this moment that God calls them to cross the river. Right? He doesn't pick the easiest moment. He doesn't pick uh, the safest moment. Interestingly, God chooses the moment that terrifies them the most, the moment that's going to require the greatest amount of faith on their part. Continuing in verse 15, it says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the sea uh, the Dead Sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So this is, this is one of those faith moments. Right? This is one of those intersecting moments in a person's life where God's people are going to experience his presence and his work in such a way that's going to radically alter their perceptions of God, their experience of God. God is going to take them to another level, in a sense. And it's interesting because, I mean, you would think that this particular people, God's people, Israel, that they wouldn't need a moment like this because they had had so many, they had so many moments like this before. But one of the things that we find in the story of Joshua and the story of Israel and in your and my story, I think we find over and over and over again, is that humans leak. Right? When it comes to spirituality, when it comes to our experience with God, it's, we leak. Right? In a moment, it's like God is so powerfully at work in our lives and we know that he's there and we can't deny his presence and his work in our life and then just as quickly it dissipates and we find ourselves empty and we lose it. I mean, think about this for a moment. Just think about this people. These were the, the same people that had seen Moses called out. It was their ancestors who saw Moses called out 
stand before Pharaoh and usher in the ten plagues. Right? Their ancestors had been the ones who had seen like the frogs and the flies cover the land, the locusts. They had seen uh, the, the Nile and all the water in the land turn to blood. Uh, and then the death of all the firstborns who, who wouldn't uh, worship God. I mean, we're talking miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And you would think that they would never doubt again. But they did. And it was as soon as they went into the wilderness, they started having false memories of how great it was being slaves and, and began thinking, you know what, it was better back there. We should go back rather than move forward with Moses, who apparently doesn't know what he's doing. Right? And you would have thought that it'd be enough. Right? Being led by God and seeing him reveal himself every single day as this great cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night. You would think that would be enough to put to rest any doubts that they had about the existence of God. But it wasn't. Right, you would think the same thing as they, they were dying of thirst and, and they watched Moses strike the rock with his staff and water became flowing out, but that would be enough for them to boldly follow God's lead and never struggle with their faith again. And yet we find them struggling time and time and time again. And I don't know about you, but I have a hard time imagining that moment and what it must have been like for Moses to raise his staff and to see that, that sea part in two and, and to walk through on dry ground and then to watch their, their captors, right, the, the Egyptians pursuing them, be swallowed up by that same sea. I have a hard time going there in my mind. But if I could experience something like that, I, I just think I would never have to doubt God's presence, his power. Right? Watching the manna fall from the sky day after day after day. Right? This manna, the, the word for manna literally means, like, we don't know what this is. Right? But they're living off of it, and it falls miraculously from the sky. You would think that you'd never have to doubt God's character, whether he cares, whether he's real, whether he is a compassionate, loving God who's involved in your life, and yet we find them struggling time and time and time again. It wasn't enough. See, there's something about us, and maybe it's just the defective part of who we are as humans, as, as people, that needs these moments in our life, these, these new starts on faith along the way. But these moments where we step into what God is doing and he takes us to, to another level. He calls us to trust him in a new way, a way that scares us. And for Joshua, this is one of those moments. And, and we know it's one of those moments because God cuts loose all the safety harness right, that he had had up until then. And you can know for you and for me that we're in one of those new start moments when God starts cutting loose all these things that you trusted in other than God, all these safety harnesses, your blanket of security, all these things, and you find yourself just out there on your own. See, this book uh, called Joshua is written by Joshua, and in the very first verse of Joshua chapter 1, it says this. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. Right? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. So this is the first thing that Joshua wants us to know about his experience. This is the very first thing he wants to, to lay the foundation for everything he's going to write in the rest of the book is that my experience with God started, this started when Moses died. Right? See, Joshua had always had Moses. And I think for Joshua, you know, it's easy to, to be a man of courage and strength and valor, a man or a woman. When you have somebody who creates an environment where you can be great, you know, when you, when you are with somebody who kind of leads the way and paves the way, but all of a sudden, right, the, the book of Joshua starts, God letting him know, look, the world has changed. Moses is dead. And, and this, is, this is what it says, and I love this. It says, And the Lord said to me, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you. 
than you. And I think these must have been like the most terrifying words for, for Joshua to hear. Because Joshua was just Moses' aide. Right? He's just his personal assistant. President Obama has a personal assistant. But he's not going to be taking over the Oval Office when he's done. Right? Tom Osborne has a personal assistant. He has an aide. Somebody manages his schedule, probably really good with organizing things. But that personal assistant is probably not going to be the next athletic director of the University of Nebraska. Right? I think we can hope for that and pray for that. Right? When Steve Jobs was done, Steve Jobs, he, he had a personal assistant. Right? When his time at Apple was finished, his personal assistant was not the person to take over Apple. Why? Because that's not the way it works, right? Like, those people might be really gifted at managing a complex schedule with numerous demands for time, but that's not the career path. Those are different gift sets. You don't jump from personal assistant to this powerful leadership position, but that's what happened to Joshua. Now, then, you. And Joshua's saying, I was just his aide. I was so unqualified for this. And God says, now, then, you. See, one of the ways that God ushers us into these new start moments is he starts to cut away those things in our lives, those safety harnesses, and flips things upside down. And, and I don't know what your personal experience is, it, it has been like during the holiday season. I don't know what Christmas was like for you, but you know, statistically, a lot of people struggle with the Christmas season. It's, for some people, it's great, it's wonderful, we had a great Christmas, but I know for many, uh, it's a lonely time. Right? It, it's a time of just another year gone by, and no forward movement, and time of great depression. And, and, and perhaps you're here and you just find yourself overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the demands on your life. Overwhelmed by expectations, perhaps. Perhaps overwhelmed by failure. Overwhelmed by crisis. And perhaps you find yourself disillusioned and discouraged and, and, and struggling to understand why God would not spare you from that disappointment, that discouragement. But it may just be that God wants to, to, to move you into a place where perhaps for the first time you experience what it's, what it's like to walk with God in this place where your weakness demands his strength day in and day out. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. And then he goes on to say to him this. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he says to Joshua, it's time to press the reset button. Right? It is time for a new start on faith. Because the faith that you've had up until now is not adequate for you to live the life that I've called you to live. The faith that you have lived with now is not adequate for me to do in you and through you what I'm going to do in and through you. And I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you, but I'm calling you out now because my people need you to live differently. I think sometimes we miss this. Right? Because truth is, like, we're American through and through. We are Midwestern American. And, and I think sometimes we, we just, we've grown up, I mean, we have to admit it. We, we need to know this. Like, we've grown up in a very individualistic, right, very self-centered uh, culture. 
And, and what ends up happening is we process all of our faith conversations and our understanding about Jesus through this lens. But what you have to know is there comes a time where God doesn't want to be your psychotherapist anymore. Or there comes a time where God doesn't just want to heal your wounds. There comes a time when God doesn't just want to help you achieve your dreams. Or there comes a time when God wants to finally begin to use you in the lives of other people. And, and what we find is this is what God is saying to Joshua. He's saying, Joshua, you need to know me in a new way. Right? I need to move you into a new place. You need to know me like this because if you don't know me like this, my people are not going to know me like this. So we find that this wasn't about Joshua at all. This was about God's people. And I think sometimes we miss this reality that if we don't live the life that we're created to live, if we don't step into those moments that God calls us to with courage and with grace and with love, that their eternity hangs in the balance for those God has placed around us. Or that God has strategically, intentionally placed us at this time in human history and people in our lives all around us who desperately need to connect with their creator and you're the person to do it. That if you don't live the life of faith and take it to another level and step into those moments, no matter how scared, how terrified you might be, that it affects the lives of other people. God is saying, Joshua, I need to take you to a new place. You've got to live the life you created to live. I've got to take you to a new place so that my people can know me like you need to know me. And I love where this passage takes us next because it's such a reminder that for you and I, right, that this reminder that we all, regardless of where we're at on a spiritual spectrum, need a new start on faith when our faith no longer terrifies us. This is what it says. God says to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he follows up with this, and I love this, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And the last line in Joshua chapter 1 is this. It says, only be strong and courageous. Now, is it that God has short-term memory loss? Or that God's schizophrenic and he just forgot that he just said that, so he keeps saying it over and over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Or, or is it that God is speaking to the very core who Joshua is. And he sees precisely how terrified he is in this moment. And Joshua says, I'm, I'm just Moses' aide. I'm just his servant. I'm not qualified for this. And God says, be strong and courageous. All right, now you are the one. You're not qualified, but I'm calling you anyway. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified, for I'm going with you wherever you go. Trust me, God loves to move us into these moments that terrify us. Right? This was a sink or swim moment. And God loves to move us there because it drives us to our knees in prayer. And God begins to accomplish those things that we can never accomplish on our own, so there's no question who gets the glory. He says, trust me, Joshua. Trust in my love, my perfect love, because my love drives out all fear. And hear me on this. 
It wasn't that Joshua hadn't been living a life of faith. He had been living a life of faith. And it wasn't that Joshua hadn't been faithful along the way. He had been faithful along the way. But it's that this was a new reality. It's that God was calling him to a level that he had never experienced before. That God wanted to do something new. And it was scary. And it was powerful. And I just wonder how many of us are, are living in that place with our faith, with our relationship with God, where we're living with this anticipation right, and this awareness, this place of limbo where we know that if God doesn't come through for us in this moment, that we are doomed. I was having lunch with a, a good friend of mine uh, this week, and uh, we were just kind of reflecting on the last year. And this buddy of mine, had, he's had a crazy, crazy year. Lots of life change, about as much life change as you can have in a year. And he's taken some really big leaps of faith this year, like really big, stuff he had never done before. And it was scary and, and, and incredible. And, and we're talking, and, and, and he's just sharing with me. He's like, he's like, I don't get it, man. He's like, I, I keep taking leaps of faith, and, and I thought that this holiday season, like finally we're going to get a breather and things were going to slow down. But during Christmas break, they... They met. Uh, they came across a couple couples uh, that they knew had both lost their jobs uh, in the month of December, and and one of these couples, they both were really struggling. They both have kids and were struggling with how are we going to provide Christmas presents for our kids. Um, one of these couples, actually, their uh, little girl has some real health issues that's going to demand um, as many as I think two dozen surgeries before high school. Um, just some really serious stuff, and they had lost their jobs and lost. Uh, their insurance right before the very first surgery. Right? So we're talking crisis situation. And so they started, God just started messing them up about this. And um, they started talking about it, praying about it. And the thing was, before this happened, like they had a really good plan. They had rearranged some things in their lives and, and sold a couple of vehicles and they were kind of reinvesting some things. And they were going to get a, a nice truck and more of like a, a family vehicle and planning for the future. And on paper, it all made sense. Good decisions, right? On paper, it, it totally made sense. But they also knew that despite how much that they could rationalize doing what they were planning on doing, that they, God had presented this need in front of them, and the truth is, it just wouldn't let them alone, right? It just would not go away. And it's like the more that they prayed about it, the more they kept seeing these, these couples and, in their minds. And so they decided to, uh, to sell, uh, take the money that they had gotten from selling one of their vehicles and give it, uh, to these two families, which uh, was just amazing. Such, a, such an incredible, God-honoring, selfless thing. And I love that because I just think God is just going to multiply that and honor that in ways that they just haven't seen yet. But he was sharing with me, and he said, man, I, he's like, I just feel like every time we take a leap of faith, and every time like, we, we up the bar and we really just take a big risk uh, for the good of other people because we feel like God's leading us to do it, so I feel like as soon as we, like God is good and he shows up and we've never been short on, on what we have, like we always have as much as we need or more than we need. But I feel like the moment that we catch our breath and the moment we think things are going to slow down and we can finally get a breather and just kind of like kick back and save for a while and do these things, I feel like God just calls us to take an even bigger leap. And he's like, what do I do with that? Like, you know, and I said, man, you're stealing my sermon. I was like, you're preaching my sermon, you know, like. I said, I think that is exactly right. I think that is how God moves. Like, that's Joshua's story. And truth is, that was Moses' story. 
And we rewind even further back. That was Abraham's story. That would, that would someday be the Apostle Paul's story. That would be John the Baptist's story. That would be the story of every one of the disciples. That God calls them to something greater. I said, I, I, I think that that is what following Jesus looks like. And the details have changed. And it's different for every one of us. But I think as we follow Jesus, it's this process of less of us, more of him. That God calls us into new ground to trust him in new ways so he can accomplish new things in our lives and through our lives. Uh, as soon, I mean, this is, this is my story too. And uh, just to share where, like, where we're at right now, um, as a lot of you know, like 2011 was a really big year for us as a family. Um, just about two, 10 months ago, we started, launched Mosaic. And uh, it's been an incredible ride, but... Uh, as many of you know, it was like a very terrifying, stressful, hard ride too. So, you know, there was all these months of working and praying and recruiting and fundraising and all these different things. And then, like, just this feeling like, oh, crap, like, what if nobody comes? You know, and then on launch day, like, all these people came. It's like, oh, crap, like, people came. You know, like, what do we do now? And, and you know, there's all this work of, of, that goes into it. And it's been such a wild ride, and God has just been blowing our minds along the way and changing lives and providing in so many ways. But huge year. Like, I, I think I can say with confidence that, that it was the biggest year for us, like, spiritually, as far as leaps that we've taken and, and just trusting all of ourselves and everything we have into God's hands. And, uh, and we also, uh, you know, were part of starting a business uh, in December, like Cupcake. And, uh, and that was another one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. We've never done this before. Like, huge risk. Like, I don't know if this is smart. Like, we just started a church. And, and really busy, really stressful. And, and, you know, looking back, like, starting a church and a business in the same year was probably not the best decision. But God has been good. And, and, and God has been faithful. And, and there's this part of me that wants to be like, okay, 2012, finally we can relax and find this rhythm. But I can honestly say that when I close my eyes, and when I come to God in prayer, and when I open up the scriptures, and ask God, what's next? Like, what do you want to have me do? That I believe with everything in me that God is going to call us to take some leaps in 2012 that scare us just as much as some of the leaps that we've taken in 2011. That there are jumps in faith. Or that there are risks that God's calling us to make. That there are faith moments in the days, and the weeks, and the months to come that are going to ter- terrify us. And I believe this is true, not just for, for us as a couple and our family, but for this church and for you personally. I believe in 2012 that God is going to call you if you will hear him, if you will trust him, to make some moves that you've never make, made before, to trust him in ways that you've never trusted him before. To, to, and that it's going to scare you. And it's going to terrify you if you will be faithful. But that is precisely what God is going to use to drive you to your knees in prayer. And to begin to use you to accomplish extraordinary things. Or where he can prove himself faithful so there's no question who should get the glory. And so here's, here's the question I want to leave you with this morning. And I'm going to shut up. I know I've been talking for a while. Sorry, it's been three weeks. So I've been, you know, building. I just need to explode, but... The question I want to leave you with this morning and challenge you with is the same question that, that we're working through uh, together in our marriage and for me personally in my life um, is this, all right? And, and I want you to stir on this and sit on this and I hope it haunts your dreams. Ask yourself this question. What is the next leap of faith that you need to take? 
What is the next leap of faith that you need to take? All right, what, is, what does that look like for you? It's going to look different for every single one of us, so I can't tell you what that is. And truth is, nobody else can tell you what that is. But what is that next step? And here's the thing. You don't need to know what the next 10 years of your life are going to look like. You don't need to have a five-year plan. You don't even need to know what the next 12 months are going to look like. You don't need to know what God's calling on your life is. Right? That feels huge and a little unmanageable. Some of us might know that. Most of us probably don't. You don't need to know that. But you do need to be praying and moving with intentionality towards this. Because I can tell you and promise you this. That if this is not something you pray about, God, what is next for me? What do I need to do? What do I need to take? What's the next leap that it won't happen? I can promise you that if you aim at nothing spiritually, you'll hit it every single time. See, when it comes to living a life of great faith, it's not something that anybody stumbles into. Right? It is a path that must be chosen. And it's going to require you to take off your toms and put on your hiking boots. All right, you can't get to where God wants you to go in a Geo Metro. All right, it takes off-road tires, a lift kit, and mud flaps. All right, so what is it? It takes journeying out of the domestication and the safety of two hours on Sunday and asking God, where do you want to take me in this wilderness? What's the next move for me? Right, what is that need that is bothering you that you see that's going unmet? And you might not know how to step in and fully meet it, but you might be able to step in and begin to meet it. Or what is that person that keeps popping up in your peripheral vision who needs something, who needs someone, and you see them and you don't know if anybody else does? Or what is that risk? What is that leap? What is that jump? Pray about it. Ask it. Ask God to lead you. Just next step. He won't tell you the end, but he'll tell you the next jump. And may we as a community have the courage to follow him boldly because I believe God wants to take you to new ground this year to accomplish things through you that he has never accomplished through you before. All right? What's that next leap you need to take? All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you use Joshua's. God, I, I thank you that you don't, quali- you don't call the qualified, but that you qualify the called. God, I, I thank you that you use aides and personal assistants and and people who are not trained to do this stuff to accomplish some of your greatest miracles in the lives of others. And so God, I ask, as we move into 2012, right, as we wrap up our first year as, as as a faith community and move into year two, that each one of us, God, that as we come to on our knees in prayer to you and ask you just for that next step, that next leap, God, that you would make that clear. God, that you would haunt our dreams with whatever that thing is, whatever that person is, whatever that project is, whatever that dream is, whatever that need is, God. With whatever that is that you're moving us towards. And then, God, I ask that you would give us the courage amidst the fear to move forward in faith. And, God, when we do that, we are trusting that you're going to show up and you're going to do what you promised to do. And that is to change lives, to build your church, and to move in ways that we can't explain to accomplish things that we can't even imagine. So Father God, we ask that you would be here as we come before you and worship, regardless of where we are this morning. God, we ask that you would move in our lives in a fresh, new way in 2012. May you be given all honor, glory, and praise. And we pray all these things in your name.